You talked uh, in the beginning uh, a little bit about, you know, why maybe managed futures hasn't caught on. And, and one of the things you mentioned was the fact that uh, it is perceived to be risky as soon as you mentioned the word futures and, and so on and so forth. Um, you recently wrote about sort of uh, how to stay rich and you talked about the perceived safety on the other side of the coin of say US treasuries compared to you know uh, you know uh, you know what we feel that they this is the risk free rate of return but of course once you start looking a little bit deeper and you uh, i think you dove into this uh, back to 1926 and then you started to also look at it after inflation tell me a little bit about what that showed uh, in terms of the evidence of of this safety uh, that we all think uh, we have in U.S. Treasuries, and maybe also sort of frame that into the uh, conversation of of why you, I guess, ended up with with a much broader portfolio than, you than know, the safe. We 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 wrote one of my first books. I remember I have a very fond memory where I was chatting with my dad once. He grew up on a farm in in Nebraska, and we still got a lot of family in Kansas. So I was I was kind of grating my teeth as I, as I heard you guys talking about wheat earlier because, because wheat, <laughs> wheat prices and corn prices have been so low. Farming is, is basically getting treasury-like returns um, with, with none of the safety. Um, so I was, I was smiling as that as wheat prices. That's, see, that's why managed futures is a good hedge against my farm as well. Um, but anyway, so I'd, I remember looking at a check that he gave me that he used to keep everything. And so he had a check that his father, who was a, um, a truck driver, beautiful penmanship um, had been uh, cashed or been given. And it was, you know, for something like $2 or I don't even remember for what it was for. But, um, you know, you have this old phrase where you go back and say, I remember when a Coke used to cost 25 cents. And, you know, for for a lot of people, they kind of understand inflation and how the, the value of money declines over time. But it's unless it's being applied to their television for deflation or for their healthcare costs, you know, it's not something that people necessarily think about a lot. Um, and so we often take to Twitter as a medium to run polls and ask people questions because often it demonstrates, despite the fact that to, to, to be following me on Twitter, you have to be uh, interested in quant finance because otherwise it's really boring. So you would think that uh, the people that I interact with are, are very highly educated in that world. But it turns out that very often people um, either have very large biases that, that they exhibit or they don't understand or, or just have, have never been exposed to certain ways of thinking. And so one of the things that you're referring to is um, the concept of if you take a step back and were to say, what is the best possible way? Let's say you're rich. You got 10, 50, 100 million dollars, billion dollars, 10 billion dollars. And you say, okay, I don't care about actually compounding this. I've won the game. How do I make sure that this is, um, I don't destroy this? Because there's some ridiculous stat about how um, 90% of wealth is lost by the third generation because, um, you know, a lot of the, the, the person that builds it, his children, his grandchildren, wives, everything else, husbands, nieces, nephews, um, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily the same education structure. Anyway, how do you preserve that? And it's an interesting question because as you think about the risk of preservation of wealth, the, the biggest challenge is that inflation. 
And in the U.S., it's been mild, though, at times. Um, I wasn't really around for it, but but we've had periods of, of pretty impressive inflation in the 1970s. Uh, many countries around the world have high and persistent inflation. Think about Brazil and Argentina. Um, and then there's a lot that have hyperinflation that totally destroys their economies. You think about uh, many modern uh, countries, um, but also um, examples right now like Venezuela, Turkey, etc. So how do you build a portfolio to, to prevent about that? And so a lot of people would say, you know, treasury bills, I put my money in the bank, it's safe. And that kicked off another discussion, which was most people that put their money in the bank actually earn zero, not even treasury bill returns, which is one of the biggest ways that brokerages and banks make money. So if you're listening to this and you don't know what you're earning on your bank uh, cash, it's probably zero. So you should check. Um, but particularly in the U.S., there's no reason not to be earning two plus percent that's guaranteed. Um, it's kind of a no brainer. So long winded <laughs> again, but we gave the example <laughs> that even if first of all, if you had invested zero, you put your money under the mattress, which no one really does. But if you're earning zero in your bank, that's essentially what you're doing. I mean, my grandfather used to put money literally under the mattress. And so eventually you'll lose all your money. I mean, that the, the effect of inflation will, at 2 3% a year, doesn't sound bad, but eventually you'll lose all your money. Um, but if you invest it in safe, the ultimate safe investment, treasury bills, which right now yield 2 3%, um, you basically keep your head above water. You, you have a very, very, very slight return over time. But, and this is what a lot of people don't understand, on a nominal basis, you have no drawdown. But on a real basis, meaning after inflation, you end up losing half your money at some point. And that's usually because of times of financial repression, which, by the way, we've seen in the past decade, where inflation can be higher than short-term bond yields. So thinking about a way to build a portfolio um, and the takeaway, and this is again, uh, an area where I depart from 99% of the people out there, um, you know, the, the takeaway is that you can think about um, if you frame investing as savings, first of all, talking about branding, I think it, it gets people to behave better. So if you talk about savings and say, look, you should be investing in um, stocks and bonds as well uh, as gold and in our case, trend following is a I often leave Chin Fong out of the discussion because I feel like it just people just their, their brains start to explode. But, um, you know, I try to want to keep it simple. But my point was, if any of these asset classes probably have declined by uh, 70, 80 percent at some point on a real basis. But if you build a portfolio of them and you invest it, you end up in a much better place. And so the global 60, 40 portfolio, Chin Fong, same difference, probably actually better you end up with a lower drawdown than cash, uh, but you end up with a much higher return. So uh, a lot of people that park their safe money in T-bills, you could actually, it's probably safer because of inflation to be investing a portion of that. We said two-thirds as an example. And in addition, you end up earning about 2 or 3% more over time. Um, Anyway, it's, it's, it's a fun takeaway. It's a different way of thinking because I don't think anyone particularly agrees with me. There's one guy that agrees with me, um, which is my friend uh, Dan Egan at Betterment, who actually um, they introduced a feature that lets your checking account sync with short-term bonds. And so instead of earning you know zero, you earn two and a half. And you're starting to see 
a lot of the fintech offerings come out where they're uh, parking your money um, to earn higher yields versus earning zero, which is great. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how long it takes Bank of America and all the big guys to catch on. I'm not. Uh, I'm not necessarily optimistic. Just a quick follow up because uh, I know Moritz and Jerry have have more questions. But but uh, do you think? And 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 of course, the four of us can can preach as uh, you know all day long, and and we have a certain audience. But you know, people such as Betterment, which you know I've read about, I've listened to some of of, of their interviews, obviously have uh, attracted a lot of attention. Um, but they don't, as far as I'm, I'm aware, seem to include that leg that, that that the four of us love a lot and, and feel are very important, which is the trend-following part. Um, what do you think needs to happen before they embrace that, you know, other side of, of the equation as well? You know, we live in a time now where there's so much social media, there's so much um, information flow that just whips around the world so fast. I think if you have another year like a 2008 or even a, a just an, I mean, you got to remember we haven't, I mean, I guess last year technically may have qualified, but I was going to say we haven't had a bear market in the U.S. in a really long time. Um, 2017 was the first time in history where stock market went up every single year, uh, every single month, excuse me. Um, so it was, it was a little different. I, and I think people are very comfortable. I think if you have a period I thought you might start to see it at the end of last year, but 20, 2019 seems to be the opposite of the end of 2018. Um, I think if you have another experience like that, or even just a long bear market or deep, I, I think people, I mean, I, I was just over in Japan and you talk to a lot of locals there and, and it's very um, atypical for people to have the same long-term buy and hold focus there because they experienced the biggest bubble we've ever seen in the 80s, and stocks have gone nowhere for decades. So you have an entire generation of investors. If you say buy and hold stocks, they're like, what are you talking about? That's a fool's <laughs> game. You know, that's, that's stupid. Why would you ever do that? Um, so I think people, different people's experience around the world is not necessarily the same as the U.S. So I think what would it take? I, I think people, I mean, their biggest detriment is they, they chase returns and what's working. And so... Um, If you look around in the U.S., what's worked, you know, the U.S. stock market has been the darling and outperformed everything else on the planet for the past decade, and it's not even close. Um, and that's not normal, right? That that's a that's it happens, but it's not typical. Um, U.S. stocks versus foreign stocks is a coin flip over time, and a lot of people don't understand that. Uh, and so, I think if you have another bear market, you have another 2008, People start to look around for for solutions, you know, and assuming that managed futures and trend does well historically, it usually does, not always. Um, then I think that that I mean, if even if you look back at the history of institutions since my investing career since two thousands, I go to all these institutional conferences and and the flavor of the day. I mean, you could just like walk through it, and it's embarrassing to look back in time, you know, about what everyone was excited about at the time in 2000, mid 2000s, it was the BRICS, Brazil, Russia, Russia, India, China. And then it was anything, uh, you know, risk managed into after 2008. And then, you know, it's, it's on and on all the different things. And so, um, I think it's, it's nothing more than, than bad times, uh, or, or a portfolio, traditional portfolio 
struggling or having a big fat drawdown. No, I mean, I agree with you completely. It's just that I think it's so sad that often uh, these things happen after the event, right? So, you know, right now perhaps is the time where you need this uh, diversification. And I think what you're saying, and and, and I agree with that's probably what's going to happen is that people are going to ask for it after they, they needed it. But that's just the way it is. 